here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Hi, I'm Benjamin Day. I'm Stephanie Nakajima. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. So uh, today we're going to focus on a really important and timely topic that overlaps with health care, which is the Postal Service. Um, you know, the Postal Service has been kind of at the top of news headlines recently, uh, primarily because obviously, you know, vote by mail has become so crucial for our democracy to actually work in November. Um, and at the same time, uh, totally unrelated, I'm sure, the USPS has come under attack by the Trump administration um, and at the same time is facing a financial shortfall. Um, and it has not received like relief from Congress that Congress has extended to some other industries. Um, there was a House bill to provide relief. Um, so we'll, we'll talk more about all this stuff, but we also wanted to focus on like some of the surprising connections between the Postal Service and our healthcare system and some lessons for the Medicare for All movement, since you know we're really trying to establish healthcare as a public right um, in a similar way that the Postal Service exists as a universal public service accessible to all Americans right now, but we are really kind of fighting to preserve that, to keep that in place. Um, so, Stephanie, do you want to introduce our guest? Sure. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Steve DiMatteo, Executive Assistant to the President of the APW and the APW's liaison to the Medicare for All movement. Hi, Steve. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, Ben. Why do you believe that uh, Medicare for All is important for postal workers? And why has it become a priority for the President of the Union, Mark Dimenstein? Well, thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Medicare for All is an important priority for our union because it's an important priority for all working people. Uh, frankly, it's a matter of social justice. It's the reason we do what we do, advancing the interests of workers every single day. Uh, and we know that in the health system that the country currently operates in, that it's too expensive. There are too many people left out. Uh, and the simple fact that our members, for the most part, have good health insurance uh, isn't reason enough to, to ignore that fight. Uh, when we are sitting across the, the bargaining table with our employers, most notably the Postal Service, uh, we know that the, the cost of health care is one of the number one issues that gets brought to the table every single time. Uh, and so when we're trying to advance uh, the wages and the pay of our members or, or other issues as well, uh, that's a big counterweight on many of our bargaining demands. It's getting more and more expensive every single year. Uh, you know, in this past year, a, a postal worker uh, with a family plan, was probably paying upwards of six or seven thousand dollars out of his or her pocket, and we know that the employer pays uh, an even larger percentage uh, of those costs as well. So it's uh, it's a system that isn't working uh, for for so many people for so many different reasons, uh, and that's why we're proud to be part of the fight to to win Medicare for all for everybody in this country. Thanks, and you know we definitely want to want to thank. Thank the APWU and uh, President Dimenstein, who's really been kind of at the forefront of the labor movement fighting for Medicare for All. Um, so before we get into the nitty gritty, um, can you paint just like a really big picture of the Postal Service and 
you know, how many people work for the, the U.S. Postal Service? Um, what's, what scale are we talking about here? What exactly do you all do? And how is the USPS different from like a UPS or a FedEx, these private entities? Sure. Well, well, the Postal Service is really, really big. Uh, and that's probably one of the reasons why everybody uh, feels so connected to the Postal Service. It's because it's the one sort of arm of the federal government that you're likely to come in contact with every single day. So the Postal Service numbers more than 600,000 workers across the country in wow. every town and community. <laughs> yeah, it's huge, right? That's a lot of uh, our, our union is really proud to represent about 200,000 of those folks. Uh, mm -hmm. 30 30,000 plus post offices across the country uh, and the Postal Service delivers to 160 million addresses six days a week and increasingly seven days a week in, in many wow. parts of the country as well. So it's one of the largest employers in the country. It's uh, just about the largest civilian employer of veterans in the country. That's an important mm -hmm. thing to underscore. And it's got a rich and, and long tradition. It's uh, just about the only service that is explicitly mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. And the, the post office today dates its heritage back even before the Constitution and before the founding of the country. Mm -hmm. 1775, Ben Franklin was named the first postmaster general. So we've been a part of American life since the beginning, and, and we hope to stay that way for, for many decades to come. And tell us a little bit more about, like, how is uh, this long uh, public service um, reaching back centuries different from like the for-profit companies that also deliver mail like UPS and FedEx? Sure. So that, that's what we think is actually one of the Postal Service's strengths. Uh, I mentioned 160 million addresses every day. Postal Service is obliged by law to reach those places. Uh, and uh, it's become very difficult to close down post offices in small towns uh, in years past when various postmasters general have tried to do that. Congress has made it clear that they want a post office in their town, we think, because people recognize the intrinsic value of what a truly universal service does and what it means to communities across the country. So we reach you every day, whether or not you're you're rich or poor, you live in the city or out in the country or a suburb in between. Uh, the Postal Service and the men and women who make it work are, are just about the only truly universal service uh, we see in the country. And, and we're fighting really hard to preserve that. One of the things that makes the Postal Service different than UPS or FedEx is the fact that the Postal Service is mandated by law to serve every single address every single day, and they do it at a uniform rate. So whether you're rich or poor, you live right next door to where you're sending your letter or package, or you live 3,000 miles away, the Postal Service carries it for the same, the same rate. Uh, that's not the case with the private operators who look at distance, who look at uh, who you are or where you might live as an opportunity to squeeze another penny or dollar of profit out of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're really proud that the Postal Service doesn't operate that way. Uh, and we think that's something worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. And for folks who have lived in cities most of their lives, they may not be aware that there are places where FedEx and UPS don't deliver to you. Is that correct? That you really only the USPS uh, service is available to you if you're in a very rural area, for example, that's maybe not profitable. That, that, that's right. As a matter of fact, the, the Postal Service delivers about a quarter of all of the packages that UPS and FedEx receive. The Postal Service will deliver those, uh, huh. what we call the, the last mile. They basically drop it off with the Postal Service and we, we finish the job. Wow. Uh, you know, there's 75. We've, we've had research from the Institute for Policy Studies, which is a great outfit here in D.C. 
who have identified 75 million people living in zip codes where FedEx and UPS will apply a surcharge to a package going to that address. That's something that's unheard of in the postal world, and it's it's something we're really proud. Uh, the Postal Service doesn't do. It treats everybody the same no matter who you are or where you live. Yeah, that's so interesting that, uh, I mean, these are clearly essential services uh, that aren't provided by the private sector that the USPS does provide. And so it's all the more remarkable that, you know, with the USPS facing financial difficulties, there have been calls from particularly conservatives to privatize it, uh, calling it inefficient and, you know, losing money. And that was before even the coronavirus struck, um, USPS has been has been facing financial trouble uh, for years. So what is actually causing the financial challenges of the Postal Service and, and how might people be experiencing that as customers? Sure. Well, the, the vast majority of the financial crisis facing the Postal Service actually stems from this 2006 law called the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act. And this is where the connection to healthcare comes in as well. It, mandated the Postal Service to pre-fund future retiree health care benefits. So we're talking about folks that haven't even been born yet that may someday in the future work at the Postal Service and accrue benefits for health care in their mm-hmm. retirement, right? It's a <laughs> crazy obligation 75 years into the future. Uh, but undergirding this whole argument is that health care is too expensive in this country and the Postal Service ought to start saving for it now for an obligation that might exist many decades in the future. That's accounted for over 90% of the Postal Service's losses since 2006, uh, and it's something that needs to be changed. Now, since COVID, of course, uh, the Postal Service has faced other challenges like a lot of other businesses as well. But that pre-funding mandate in the 2006 law is what really put the Postal Service in a vulnerable position as we entered the, the, the pandemic times. So in preparation for this podcast, I actually uh, did a little bit of research just to see how journalists were reporting on this topic. I watched a 15-minute segment on CNBC uh, that was about why, uh, well, it was purportedly about why the post office is facing all this financial difficulty. And they spent 15 minutes talking about everything but what you just said. Um, They talked about... um, uh, the lack of volume for par- uh, posts uh, for mail versus parcels and increasing competition. They talked about how the post office was slow to adapt. They talked about union benefits getting better and draining from the system. Um, can you talk a little bit about why it is that this has never been taught? This isn't usually brought up. Sure. First of all, some of those things are true. You know, mail volume is down and the way people use the mail has changed over the years. But that's been true since 1775 when the post office first got established, too. Uh, (laughs) We we know that a lot of this is part of a concerted attack that you mentioned, Stephanie, really going back decades based on, you know, conservative forces funded by big corporations and billionaires that don't like seeing postal services, that don't like seeing public services succeed. Uh, you know, it's remarkable that even after all of the tax, uh, the Postal Service still enjoys 91% approval rating from the public. Um, you know, they've done everything in their power to demonize the Postal Service, to demonize postal workers. Uh, but we still get the job done. And I think the public sees that and recognizes that. Uh, and that's the reason that the, the post office is held in such, in such esteem. Look, it's a lot easier to complain about mail volume going down than it is to explain 
future retiree health benefit. You know, all, it's a, kind of a complicated issue, but it's it's uh, uh, it's certainly the case that I think most people see through that and appreciate the job that the postal service and postal workers do for them every single day. Now, before we move on from this, I cannot get beyond this 75-year number. <laughs> I mean, so you said Congress forces the Postal Service to pre-fund health care benefits for 75 years in advance. So that's like a postal worker today has to pay for their health care benefits and their children's health care benefits and their grandchildren's benefits if they were to work at the post office. <laughs> it's like a multi-generational. I mean, is there any business on the planet that could survive if they had to pay for healthcare benefits that far in advance? And is there any other government agency that this is a requirement for them? No, that, that's a good question. Nobody else does it. Look, some, some private companies, uh, if they've had a really big boom year, will put away some money and do a fund to pay these future expenses. Certainly not this far in advance, but they'll sock it away. Uh, it's certainly different than pension accountability, you know, accounting rules. This is really a different kettle of fish altogether. What's different about what happened to the Postal Service is they were mandated by law to do it and that it was uh, put on such an aggressive schedule to uh, pre-fund 75 years of responsibilities over just a 10-year window. So the post office, based on this 2006 law, was forced to sock away you know, in excess of $5 billion a year from 2006 to 2016. And that really put them in, in a really bad position uh, you know, as, the, as the century moved on and, and changes to the mail did happen and certainly uh, put them in a bad position uh, once we went, uh, once we entered into the pandemic as well, they just weren't on firm financial footing because of the damage that the pre-funding mandate had caused over the last ten years. So odd to me that a, a service that's like delineated as being in the Constitution as part of the essential service of the government is one of the only ones that's forced to be self-financed rather than a ma- part of the mandatory spending of the government. You're right, Stephanie. It, it is remarkable, and, and you know, one of the things we like to underscore is uh, since 2006, when that law passed, the Postal Service would have been profitable in just about every year if it weren't for the pre-funding mandate. So that's certainly something we've uh, been working actively to have Congress uh, address. And, and some of those demands, frankly, have been usurped by the the magnitude of the crisis that's emerged in the last year with COVID. Uh, but it's not something that we've forgotten about and, and certainly something we need to have Congress uh, take up quite urgently, um, perhaps in the new year. Well, that's a good segue to uh, let's let's bring us into the current uh, total clusterfuck of a year for for every sector, pretty much. But I, I imagine uh, with coronavirus, the collapse of like large portions of the economy, massive unemployment that that must have had some impact on the Postal Service as well. What what was the impact on, on the Postal Service? Well, basically, you know, a lot of folks that contribute to much of the mail volume that we're accustomed to just stop doing business for a long time. Uh, you know, a lot of the mail that you receive every day is, is sent to you from businesses. It's not necessarily sent from grandma or aunt Betty. Uh, and with a lot of the economic uncertainty, certainly in the early months of the pandemic, uh, much of that mail dried up. Uh, the Postal Service's projections at the time uh, were incredibly dramatic. Uh, now today, uh, they've uh, softened those expectations a bit and said that the pandemic will lead to only $50 billion 
in losses for the Postal Service over the next 10 years. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the magnitude of the crisis really can't be understated. Uh, it's had dramatic effects on how much volume of mail there is in the system. Uh, and it's really a, a tipping point for the Postal Service to uh, consider what, what the future of the Postal Service is going to be, how many people are going to be in the mail, uh, and, and how we can continue to provide the service that the, the people of the country have come to expect and that they deserve. So responding to the coronavirus crisis, or maybe sort of taking advantage of the coronavirus crisis, Trump's appointed Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, who I have to remark here is the first uh, Postmaster General in two decades who had no prior experience uh, in the USPS. And when recruited for the position, he was president of an investment bank. Um, maybe you can also say a little bit more about that. I'm, I'm sure you have feelings about it. But he took some pretty horrifying steps uh, and proposed some even worse ones. Uh, what does it look like when one of Trump's big donors is given the reins of one of the largest public services in the country? Look, we were really clear when the new Postmaster General uh, was appointed by the Postal Board that if he continued uh, the policies that, that led to the quality service uh, that everybody had come to know and expect, that we would welcome him into the Postal family. But we were concerned because the Trump administration uh, is on record in advocating for postal privatization. They have a postal task force from December of 2018 that laid out a path towards privatization that included service cuts price increases, uh, and the like. Uh, you know, we said if, if the new PMG uh, was here to pursue that agenda, uh, that he would be met with resistance by postal workers and our allies across the country. Um, you know, unfortunately, in the early weeks of his tenure, uh, we saw that uh, some of the alarm bells that emerged from the Trump White House task force uh, seemed to be ringing. Uh, in the PMG's office, and there were a number of policies that he put in place that slowed down the mail, caused the massive delays, um, and and you know perhaps we can talk about it a bit more. Uh, I was so proud that postal workers and so many people around the country uh, were outraged by that, and certainly we saw that through July and August, uh, people weren't weren't going to stand for any policies that delayed the mail or slowed down the mail. I saw many many young people care about the post office for maybe the first time in their lives. <laughs> that, that's right. And what happened What happened in August was really remarkable. You know, MoveOn.org organized a bunch of demos. They had over 800 around the country in one weekend. Uh, it was a Saturday. Just a few days later, our union uh, top-lined uh, over 300 demonstrations across the country. So to have a 1,000 demos in the streets uh, with like 48 hours notice for people coming out and saying, save the post office, I thought was really remarkable. Uh, and they were successful too, I have to say. You know, some of the, the changes that the Postmaster General uh, rolled out in, in his early weeks, he then got dragged before Congress and he committed to stopping them. And now there have been court orders as well that have enjoined him uh, from pursuing those policies. So uh, street heat works. Uh, it's clear that the people of the country want postal services that are you know prompt, reliable, and efficient. That's the standard that the law provides for. And that's the expectation of people uh, in every corner of this country. Yeah, I'm absolutely shocked that a, a, a CEO who Trump brought in to run the government like a business 
um, didn't actually improve the efficiency of the system. It's uh, I'm sure that hasn't happened anywhere else in our government. Uh, well, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we like to say, remember what it's called. It's the United States Postal Service, not the United right. States Postal Business. So some, exactly. some of the things that you might learn at, at, at mm -hmm. Wharton or Sloan may not apply. And that's okay because we're here to serve everybody every single day, not return a profit to shareholders or rip anybody else off. Amen. And, you know, when that did happen and there was actually, you know, issues with delivery times, I think understandably, a lot of the concern around the Postal Service focused on the elections since, you know, states are now relying more and more on mail-in ballots. Um, but what kind of surprised me at the time was, you know, we we're also in the largest probably healthcare crisis of our lifetimes. Um, and I hadn't fully appreciated how much the Postal Service is part of our healthcare system. Could you say a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, it, you know, in the years before the, the pandemic, and I expect that the figures will be higher this year, the Postal Service was already sorting, delivering, uh, sorting, transporting and delivering over 1.2 billion prescription drug orders every single year. So that's a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that includes 80 percent of all the prescription drugs uh, administered through through the VA sent to, mm -hmm. to veterans across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, so. It's been an important cog in the sort of logistics of, of getting people, especially folks that uh, might have mobility issues or live uh, far afield, live in rural areas and, and can't drive 50 miles to the nearest pharmacy, making sure those folks have access to the drugs uh, that they need. The Postal Service is absolutely vital in that respect. And then there were there were things we saw, too, that, you know, uh, possibilities unrealized about how the Postal Service could have dealt with the pandemic response. There were plans uh, to use the Postal Service's unmatched network to deliver masks, face coverings to every single household in the country. Yeah. Unfortunately, that plan got scuttled by some folks in the White House, it looks like. Uh, but the, the really the, the possibilities on how to leverage the postal network uh, are endless in a lot of ways. And I think with a lot of creativity or even just a little bit of creativity that we could discover uh, new and important ways that, that postal workers could provide uh, even more additional services that folks folks could rely on. So the Medicare for All movement is is trying to take health care out of the hands of for-profit middlemen uh, who skim as much as they can off of our health care dollars before it ever pays for actual care and to make health insurance a right, uh, a public service, much like the Postal Service. Uh, do you see a parallel between these for-profit health care companies and companies like UPS or FedEx and how they would run the mail system if there wasn't a public postal service? Sure. You know, we think one of the most important fundamental elements about the Postal Service, and it's the reason everybody loves and appreciates the Postal Service, is that we serve everybody every single day, no matter who you are or where you live. And the same can't be true. You know, the same can't be said for the private operators, uh, certainly not at the same price. Uh, the Postal Service will, will ship your package or your letter, uh, you know, three miles down the road or 3,000 miles across the country uh, for the same uniform rate, no matter who you are or where you live. Uh, we certainly know that if the Postal Service were to be privatized or ran like UPS or FedEx, that those rules would no longer apply and that the quality, reliable, universal, affordable services that people were used to wouldn't, wouldn't be there for years to come. Yeah, ironically, that the, the government option in postal service is the thing that creates more competition 
in the whole system than, you know, had it not been there. <laughs> that, it's essential that, to keeping competition alive. That, that's absolutely right. And, you know, so many people in the mailing community, the sort of business mailers, uh, they may not be natural allies to the trade union movement, but these are folks that recognize the value of the Postal Service and keeping rates down for everybody. Uh, you know, the Postal Service is a really important conduit for businesses of all types. Uh, so if you're a small, you know, eBay seller, I had a part from my computer that I had to buy the other day. Uh, you know, it's a 20 year old laptop and I needed to get the thing so that I could do this call with you today. And they shipped huh? it through the postal service for like three bucks and it got there in three days, you know, and if that goes away, uh, those types of transactions are going to be a lot more expensive for, for people of all types uh, in, in, in all parts of the country. Yeah, it's it's incredible how little public infrastructure we have left in the U.S. that that is, as you described, the post office is, that it's equitable, that it's universal. I mean, we used to kind of have this for the phone service, and then, you yep. know, Ma Bell was broken up um, and privatized, and that's turned into a disaster for everyone. Um, and it is a, obviously an uphill, difficult fight to start establishing these basic rights that are kind of essential for democracy, but also for a functioning economy, um, and just for people to live kind of dignified lives. Um, so really appreciate the, the Postal Workers Union is kind of like the standard bearers fighting for, um, I think what to me is kind of the model that we're trying to push for for healthcare. So That's right, and I, and I appreciate that, Ben. And, and there's two, two comments I would make on that. First is, you know, winning this defensive fight on the Postal Service is so important because there's a ratchet effect, right? It's, we've seen this in other countries around the world that have already privatized their posts. It's a lot harder to build it back up once it's already gone. Uh, so it's important that everybody gets in this fight and, and helps us win it because it's not just for 200,000 postal workers that we represent. It's for everybody that relies on the Postal Service. That's one. And then the other remark I'd make is, I think the fight to save the Postal Service is so closely related to the fight for Medicare for All. It's about proving that there is value in the public commons and that, mm -hmm. you know, we can build something together that serves everybody everywhere. Uh, and that thing can not just, you know, it can be a good thing, too. This isn't just like the lowest common denominator or the last best option. It can be something that actually gets the job done and gets the job done well. We think the Postal Service has demonstrated that. Uh, for decades, uh, and, and we want the healthcare system to look just like that in the future. Absolutely. So how do people get involved with this fight to protect the Postal Service? I, I know there's especially been a, a very current fight around trying to get a second relief bill, a coronavirus relief bill that includes relief for the Postal Service. Um, how do folks learn, learn more and get involved? So the best way to get involved is to visit usmailnotforsale.org. You just spell that out, usmailnotforsale.org. Uh, and that's got resources and tools that people can get plugged into the fight. Certainly call your member of Congress, call your senator, and let them know that you expect the Postal Service to be a top priority when we finally get folks committed to coronavirus relief. Uh, the, the financial crisis at the Postal Service is coming early next year. Uh, we're going to need Congress and an administration that are prepared to act to ensure that the Postal Service is here for decades to come. Uh, and, and don't forget to vote in November and vote by mail. You know, there's yep. been a lot of, a lot of attention, <laughs> yes. a lot of attention sprung on the Postal Service. And it's not lost on me that so many folks that engaged in the fight over the summer were rightly concerned about vote by mail. Our message is you can still mm. vote by mail. 
Uh, you want to request your ballot early if you haven't already. Uh, and you want to get it back early as well, but you can trust the Postal Service and postal workers to handle that election mail uh, with integrity as we always have and always will. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. I mean, just to the same measure that the coronavirus has exposed the weakness in private infrastructure, private for-profit healthcare system, and how unsustainable and uh, weak that is in a moment of crisis, I think it's also highlighted how important um, the public services that we do have, like the USBS, are. Um, we're literally depending on it to save our democracy <laughs> and right. enable us, enable democracy to continue during a crisis. So I think that's just so important. That's right. And and there's there's nobody else that can reach every home uh, in time for the election. And, and, you know, we're really proud of the fact that despite the attacks by this president and, and others uh, to cast doubt upon the Postal Service's ability uh, to handle ballots safely and securely, that tens of millions of people are going to entrust a postal worker with their ballot this year. Uh, and I know it's the commitment of our union to hold the Postal Service accountable for everything they do uh, and to, to ensure that our members are, are up to the task. And, and we're quite confident uh, that our members and the Postal Service more broadly uh, will be able to, to safely and securely get your election mail to where it needs to go. Awesome. So we will we will be there with you all with the Postal Service in this fight. Um, and I hope we can win Medicare for all soon. So we can <laughs> the the easy way to get rid of that 75 uh, year advance funding of retiree benefits is to just give health care to everyone. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I look forward to keep working with you all uh, fighting for Medicare for all as well. It's a real pleasure, Ben. Stephanie, thanks so much for having us on. We're going to be uh, we're going to be alongside you. These are the same fight, really. This is a fight for everybody and the rights of everybody to have uh, good quality public services. Uh, postal workers are on your side and we're ready to go win uh, a future for the Postal Service and Medicare for all. 